Eits jolla kali. Hey y'all, what's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Due to the coronavirus, the following show is being produced and broadcast by the Yolokali youth from their homes. So sit back, relax at home, and enjoy the show. Hello everybody, you are listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio and this is FTP for the people. On March 29th, Adam Toledo, a 13-year-old boy, was shot and killed by police near the 2300 block of South Sawyer. In the Little Village neighborhood, details of the events have been sparse and video evidence has yet to be released to the public. The community of Yolokali would like to dedicate today's show to Adam Toledo and all the victims of police violence and police killings. We are exhausted in hearing excuses for the violence in our communities by the police. We need justice and transparent actions for Adam from the City of Chicago, the Chicago Police Department, and the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. Thank you to all the family members, community members, and organizations who are constantly working hard to create peaceful and safe communities with each other. It is yet to be determined if Adam Toledo was armed during the confrontation. Though at a press conference on the shooting, Mayor Lori Lightfoot had repeatedly stated Toledo was in possession of a handgun. Regardless of the details, the fact of the matter is that a 13-year-old boy was killed by a CPD officer, and the community is angry and demanding accountability. On April the 5th, a noise rally was held around 26th Street to call for solidarity. CPD guns pointed to my head. I've been beat up. All of that, right? And something that I, I know for a fact when I was out, you know, in the streets and I had all these all these people around me creating this narrative that that was okay, that because of the lifestyle I was living, that, that CPD was allowed to do that stuff, right? So it, it is up to us to change that narrative. And that's why I feel it's important for me to come up here and say, that right and that because I'm a survivor of police violence not a victim because I survived the I survived that violence to me that means I still got breath in my body to say and then I'm, I'm gonna continue I'm gonna continue to fight because I have a responsibility Mark was one of the people Beat up by the police. I looked at the pictures, I looked at the baby, I said, that's a baby, but I also seen so much life. But I also seen so much life. And you know what I don't see? I don't see the CPD officers crying. I don't see them here with us mourning. I don't see them feeling sorry for what they did, ever. They go back to work the next day like it's nothing. 
they go back in the office and they get congratulated like it's nothing. While we are still on the streets, and guess what? When they, well, they're blaming it on a 13-year-old, right? There are 13-year-olds all around this city who are running around with guns because of what Lori Lightfoot and all these people are doing. Because they're not coming to our communities taking care of our babies. They're not educating our babies in school. They're not getting us food. They're not getting us housing. They're not getting us anything. So I'm going to pass it on to I thank y'all so much for coming out here. I love y'all so much. I give my heart to that. What are your thoughts on the incident? I think it's devastating. Um, and and just something that we shouldn't be reading about anymore. You know, I think these kinds of incidents shouldn't be happening at all. I think it's sad that um, a 13-year-old boy had to be gunned down in that way. Um, I think it's also sad that a 13-year-old was out there, from what I gather, gangbanging, which is, you know, provides its own ills to any community, especially this one that's been fighting that particular thing for a long time. Uh, I feel bad for the family, the mother, although some people might not think the same. Uh, I'd say my thoughts on the incident are, of course, it's tragic. I mean, he was 13, man. Um, I think this lack of, this apparent lack of transparency from the city and the police is pretty suspect, and it's hard not to feel that way about it when there's so much history of that. Regardless of the situation, the cops should not have, should not have been that kind of response. Like, I don't know if they felt threatened. I don't know if they just felt like they were on a power trip or something, but it's a 13-year-old kid. How do you think the situation should have been handled? I really don't know, man. Um, Because we don't know all the facts. Did he have the gun? Didn't he have the gun? Uh, Either way, he fled, you know? He fled, and the foot chase, etc. Had they left him? If he didn't have the gun, then obviously probably would have ended in kind of a non-issue. But clearly somebody had a gun. And, like, where had he been, you know? Like, what was going on with this guy? Maybe police need to be trained better. Um, even if, you know, I don't know if it's that the officer was scared and shot him, you know, as a result of that, or whatever the case may be, I just think that police need better training um, because that's unacceptable, you know? They're not supposed to be killing citizens, whether they, you know, whether they're caught red-handed or not. I'm not going to pretend to know how procedures go but any adult that handles kids um, armed or not they have to understand that their brains are developing and they like um, they may not have the capacity to remain calm in those situations it's like it's frightening for adults And if it's just frightening for adults, what makes them think that it's going to, that children are going to be able to remain calm in that situation? When you're dealing with children, I, I, and you're in a, you're in a situation in which somebody could, you know, you could, you could find yourself in a life-threatening situation of any sort. I think it's best to try to avoid that altercation altogether. Um, 
it's hard to say how quickly that happened. If things happen quickly, decisions are made on the fly, one person's trying to defend themselves, or both people are trying to defend themselves, and if both people brandish a weapon, someone's going to pass away, unfortunately. And I would like for that to not be the case. I would like for less guns to be on the streets. But Chicago as a whole has a crime problem, and we've had a crime problem for a very long time. And it'll start with taking the guns off the streets, and then it'll, it'll hopefully end with people not having to carry them at all. What are your thoughts on the Chicago Police Department? I think at the very least it needs to be restructured, like completely. Um, our criminal justice system really sucks. Uh, CPD should be held accountable for playing a role in systemic racism. I don't hold them in high regard. I don't particularly like the CPD. I, I don't have positive feelings about them. I think that, uh, like, I don't, I don't think that they make it safer for, for us to be living here, you know? Um... I know of several situations in which undercover police officers, as well as standard police, your average police beat cop, um, has had some um, rather aggressive altercations with your average citizen that were unnecessary. People got injured, the city gets sued, and then our tax dollars pay to make that go away. And that happens a lot. And that happens a lot in every city. Typically, I find that they mishandle a lot of situations, that it could be handled with a lot less violence. Um, if they had proper training and other things other than how to hold a gun, um, just a lot more mediation. I think that uh, we could, like society would benefit more if we invested um, you know, more more funding in things like mental health, you know, care and uh, awareness, uh, and, you know, invest more in the communities. Um, I like the idea of incorporating more mental health into covering instances where people who are having mental health episodes are met with therapists and people who understand those particular um, illnesses or what have you but we're not there yet until then people are going to continue to call cops when there's a situation they can't understand and they need somebody to take care of it they have problems from the academy to actual enforcement uh not to mention it's always been undermanned and Rahm Emanuel nor Lori Lightfoot have done anything to alleviate that Rahm Emanuel lied when he said he was going to hire more police instead of doing that he offered like twice as much overtime to all the existing officers. Uh, and that's like twice as much available work, not uh, money. Of course, they're going to take it. You know, who, who wouldn't? They've got families to support. They've got things that I'm sure they want to buy, bills to pay, etc. It's a job. At the same time, you can't expect an undermanned, overworked police force to function properly at all, especially when you didn't train them the right way in the first place. Where do you stand on the idea of cops in Chicago public schools? I think it's a good idea. Keep uh, school safer. Yeah. I think it sends the wrong message if you want to have children go to a place where they feel safe and they're going to learn and you have police, police officers at the door. It does not give you a welcoming invitation to come and learn if you see a police officer at the door on your way to class.
um, doesn't make anyone feel more safe. Um, I'm sure it's meant to combat any kind of person who thinks that they can carry a weapon to school because they feel they need to defend themselves again against someone else. Um, but really it makes the person who's actually there to learn feel less focused on doing so. I don't think that they should be in public schools. Um, I don't, I don't see why, you know, they would be necessary in public schools. Yeah, I, I feel that it's, uh, if anything, it's more dangerous for the students for, you know, CPD to be in the schools. I have never been a fan of cops within CPS uh, as someone who's been within CPS, I never felt particularly safer with them around knowing that I am brown and low income and I am um, a target for these kinds of prejudices that cops may have. Um, you know, they say not all cops have these kinds of prejudices, but we don't know that. As students, we don't know that. Um, we just know what we see in front of us. And, you know, it, that's the evidence that we have to not trust them and to not feel safe around them. Would you prefer the CPD to receive more, less, or the same amount of funding from the state? I think they should receive less funding because I think funds should directly be distributed to these under-resourced communities. Uh, funding should be directed for violence prevention programs to avoid problems like these. More. More funding because that would help the police department create like extra training, provide extra classes for the officers to improve in handling those, these types of situations. I think they should definitely receive less that money would be better spent, you know, investing in education, healthcare, anything other than the police. Cops deserve less amount of funding just because I know that so much more of that money can be used for other departments that can help our children, that can help, well, not just our children in schools, but everyone who has to interact with cops or, you know, if we had better social services, better counseling in schools, better alternatives that don't put children into the judicial system. Um, there's so many other options. It needs to be diversified into other departments that make more sense as opposed to just investing all this money into police officers that are quickly trained and then sent out to do their jobs. I think they, they carry too much responsibility when it comes to situations that are beyond their control or beyond their understanding, and we need to consider, um, somebody suggested community policing more so, having police officers cover a particular neighborhood, and having those, those police officers understand the people they are caring for, so they do a better job of it. That makes more sense to me than changing out cops per, per week, per month into different neighborhoods. No one's ever, no one ever sees a familiar face, so you never know whether it's gonna be a positive altercation or a negative one. And seeing as you only ever hear about the negative altercations on the news, that's all I ever expect. Ah, uh, it's hard to say, man, because if they receive less, 
the city would fall to police. And the fact is, as much as institutionally there's a problem, most of these guys are just dudes working a job. I mean, for all the police that you hear about, how many are there that you don't? And they're just kind of doing whatever it is they do. If they get more money, the city and the state are likely to militarize them even more. If they get the same amount of money, the city's going to complain and blame it on somebody else. The end of the day, the police are getting shafted, and the city is really benefiting from that. They're going to they're gonna keep doing it. They're never going to stop. I mean, this is how Chicago's police force, to my knowledge, has run forever, you know? It really says something that the lifespan of a cop tends to shorten the longer they stay. And from what I've heard firsthand, most of the time, if they stay too long, they end up real messed up. And uh, I think it says something, man, like that there is a trend that they see too much and they go by their own hands, dude. What does that tell you, you know? Hello, everybody. We are back. So now let's start a little conversation with everybody. So first question goes out to anybody who wants to answer. Have you or anybody that you know ever encountered or had a difficult run-in with police? Hello, uh, my name is August. And personally, I've never had any difficult run-in with the police with all my encounters with them. And I think I, I could account that to, to me being able to um, like de-escalate the situation with them in times where I was in the wrong, you know? Like I, I stepped back and I, you know, I let them run it and I, I didn't fight. And that was out of fear, you know, most of the times because uh, we're taught like as brown people, as brown and black people, like this is uh, like an encounter you should be fearful of or wary at the very least to not say or do anything that might get you hurt or killed. Hello, my name is Melissa and my experience with police, I really don't have an experience with police officers. But I definitely have like friends who have run-ins with policemen and I would say it's very rough because they just, my guess, like police think they look suspicious, they stop them, they interrogate them and then ultimately find out there's really nothing wrong with that. And well, I haven't really been like encountered by a police officer, but I know when my friends tell me that they have fear, even despite even being like from another race or something, Um, I mean, it's still kind of very... It's a very scary thing because, you know, someone who is an authority has qualified immunity, has like power over you and whatever you kind of say can be taken in another way. So that's usually what happens. Hello, my name is Antonio. And uh, personally, I have been has encounters with the police, but I met some police and they're, they're like very friendly, regardless of their ethnicity. They've been really nice to me. There was this one time where I got robbed and a guy like almost cut my finger off and the police that were attending me they they were like they're actually very kind even though they're they were uh of other races so it's been pretty good so far hello everyone um my name is gerardo that's a pretty good question um i've had difficult encounters actually and i've also had family and friends and people whom i've just talk to and and most of the time every time I ask questions like these or just ask them about what are their views on police I always get the same reactions it's very negative towards them and for the most part it's always has been because of the way these officers they tend to react towards you know their environment or towards the environment that they're working on 
So my answer would be yes. I've I've had difficult encounters and run-ins with the police. Most of the times, if on these encounters, I don't know if you or anyone who has these encounters, if you tend to scan out the area or scan out your environments, most of the times these these officers they tend to have these mechanism of hunting for people. Sometimes it's, you know, for an arrest, sometimes it's for a ticket, sometimes it's because with the use of their power they want to feed whatever they want to feed, you know, sometimes they might feel like because of the power they have, they they tend to abuse it and majority of the times they they tend to abuse it and personally me, I don't I can't say that I've had good moments with officers. I can only just speak on, you know, the the encounters that I've had with them and majority of them has been bad or negative if I may say. In addition to that, I I think it's I don't want to promote or just uh, influence, but I don't, I think people should realize that cops they tend to not be friendly. They're just you know doing a job, and sometimes their job they tend to misplace it for what it actually means or follows. And uh, I'm happy to talk with you all guys today, and thank you for for having this conversation. And so I have also another question in general, since we all kind of live in Little Village. Um, what has like the relationship between our community and the police force? Basically, how is it? From from what I see, like in social media, from people uh, around our age, uh, it seems yeah, it's astoundingly uh, negative. And you could look around and see the the relationship between police and and understand why, like police and communities like ours, you know. Like, it's always, it feels like a versus, you know what I mean? It feels like police versus our hood, you get me? Even if we're doing nothing wrong, it, it just feels like we're being uh, monitored a lot. And uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel to me that as a whole, our community is treated the same as maybe a community in the North Side or a, yeah. or a wider community. In addition to what you said, in my point of view, it's like we have like this fear for the cops because we we never know how they're gonna react because we're because of the color of our skin. We never know what they're gonna do or what they're gonna think about us. So, for many adult people that I've talked to and I've heard, uh, they're like they fear the the cops when we should be feeling safe with them, but we don't. I have a question. I feel like with all of this scenarios and events unfortunate events that have been happening and just you know wrongdoings from policemen why why might one have that feeling or sensation of fear from these cops is it because we don't know what they might be capable of or is it because we don't know our rights as human beings what they can and cannot do to us what do you think it might be i would like to chime in so I think specifically for Little Village, since it's a very like populated like immigrant neighborhood, like a lot of people are undocumented. So I would create fear in itself because people don't really know their rights, even if they're not necessarily born here. And there's, um, I think, a different level or just a different like aspect of like how our fear towards cops, mainly because like maybe some of our parents are undocumented. So if they get pulled up by a police officer, that can mean they're getting sent back to Mexico or or wherever they're from or like, you know, just the consequences might be more worse for that person as like someone who's like also like maybe like young people, not necessarily they might fear just because of like the consequences, but just how the power that, you know, supposedly this law enforcement already has, which is like they can do whatever they want and they can they can steer away the narrative and kind of change 
the whole situation so that is like kind of very concerning and i think it's just very different you know if it were like a neighborhood who like north londo for example like that that is already like a another different level because there is more prejudice just because um it is populated by um you know black people so it would create way more like more fear and also just knowing the stigmas that you know hold a lot of these communities which is like these communities are violent they are like gang oriented so fear is always like on another level and you know it's just not safe at all I think I think something else that that really um, breeds animosity between our community and and uh, the police force is the uh, the fact that many of these cops that do commit uh, commit killings like these like where's the repercussions on their part you know what I mean they face little to no repercussions because the system pr- protects them from it and I and I don't even think we could chalk that up to the individual cops fault like like I mean we we can because they're compliant they're complicit in in the system but speaking out about something like that as a cop you would get ostracized you know what i mean you would you would face repercussions socially or you know or um or from your job uh so it's not it's not acceptable as a cop to speak out on stuff like this uh and then it perpetuates the problem you know so in in this particular situation with Adam Toledo um though i think the cop uh, was not justified in shooting him. I feel like he won't face repercussions, and that's that's um, it it really just shows the sad reality that can unfold. Right. It's not like it's not a. It's more. It's more indicative of like the system that is allowing this to to happen. You know, rather than, I feel like the community should be like. I'm not saying they should should be angry at who. You know, well, I understand the anger. And frustration. I feel like it's misdirected, is what I mean. I feel like the mis that that it should instead be directed to the systems that allow this to happen, other than the you know the officer them themselves, you know. But the officer should also face repercussions for shooting that kid. Yeah, I um I feel like uh, this is something um something just living in the community and living in and around communities in Chicago. One thing that uh, I tend to pick up on is um, every every time I've had encounters, I tend to be more conscious of how I say things and how I move about with that encounter. I remember, um, I'm just going off a tangent here right now, but I remember like the first uh, couple encounters I've had, um, I used to live in the north side of Chicago. And then my encounters over there, they were a bit harsh and they were a bit indifferent from you know, encounters in the South Side. I've dressed up like, uh, as I don't want to say typical Chicagoan, but like, you know, Jordans, jeans, and then a sweater. And then the odd part that I've had with encounters is, you know, majority of my style, majority of the clothing that I wear, it tends to be uh, similar, if not the same. And sometimes, and this is the part that it just, um, it ticks me off sometimes. Let's say if I was dressing a certain way, and then I was walking the streets of Little Village, North Londo, or let's say back of the yards or Gage Park, then most of the time, majority of the time, actually, you know, cops tend to identify you a certain way because you're dressing up a certain way in a certain neighborhood. And then my encounters in the north side, let's say Logan Square or uh, by the Milwaukee Avenue, it tends to be just like a normal day. It's just you feel like no, you're not being watched by these officers. You feel like you're not being tailed by them. And it's just so odd. And then I've had uh, encounters in Little Village where oftentimes, 
you know, if you're if you're a male figure dressed up a certain way, uh, you know, it's past, you know, 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., past curfew or whatever, you tend to get flashed or you tend to get stopped because at in those points, they just, you know, they're you could say that they're hunting. You could say that they're looking for 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 a motive to to stop you. But even then, it's just like it, it shouldn't be that way. I or anyone shouldn't get flashed at, at a late night just because they're just walking, you know, it shouldn't be that way. And I also believe people shouldn't be comfortable where can, where they just say, Oh, yeah, that's just a cop. He's just flashing us like, Oh, let's walk normal. Don't act like nothing that shouldn't that shouldn't be the normal. The normal should be like, Hey, why are you flashing me? You're disturbing my peace. I am just walking home. It, I know it's late at night, but you could just go on with your day, patrol the streets. And, you know, if your motive was that you're looking for someone, well, it doesn't seem like a reasonable or possible cause that why you should be flashing your light at me, you know? And that, that about wraps it up for our uh, first conversation. When we come back, we're going to have an interview by Melissa with a Solario student about cops in CPS and another discussion. My name is Esmeralda de la Garza. I currently go to Eric Solario Academy. I live on the southwest side of Chicago. My name is Melissa de la Garza. I live on the southwest side of Chicago as well. Well, Eric Solario Academy, <laughs> yeah. So uh, me and my sister organized the protest because on Monday we went to Back of the Yards at 9 a.m. to support them because they made a protest advocating for the removal of the SROs from their school. And we just believe that Solorio does not need SROs. We don't think that any CPS school needs them. As well as we have two individually privately hired SROs. So even if our the one SRO that is under the $33 million contract is voted out, our principal will just order or hire two other ones. So I don't think that's fair. So uh, we're going to be calling for the like let go or the firemen of those two officers as well. Well, in more, more times than often, armed guards don't, statistics show that armed guards really don't protect schools in dire situations because the conversation that's going around right now is, oh, well, they would protect us if something happened. They would protect us in a school shooting. But statistics show that more times than often, guards end up hiding under the desk or they're not there at the time or they just don't go through with the action that they were intended to be put in there for. We don't expect that Solorio will easily fire these SROs. Like we said, our school is actually named after a cop who died. So uh, Solorio is very protective of the SROs in our school. But we want to at least draw attention to the fact that the students of Solorio do not agree with this. And we will be out there every day if we have to. But we are not your yes men. I would also like to add that the police officer in our school, currently Officer Burja, has 24 allegations and six uses of excessive force. So I don't feel protected that the man that I pass by every day only works at a school because he may have had an altercation at another school. And that's why he was relocated at our school. There was a report of an, an excessive use of force against an 18-year-old Black uh, woman. And that was reported in the Ashburn area where that can range from anywhere from Bogan to, you know, like other high schools. So it only makes you think like just because I haven't had a bad altercation with him doesn't mean that other people haven't. And these are real people in real time that have been affected and who have been assaulted or touched by this man. And I don't think that he deserves a spot in our school for that. Like, why should CPS students be concerned about what's happening to them? 
I think that it just really plays hand in hand with everything that's going on right now. I mean, just because the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't affect you doesn't mean it's not important. Just because the officer is nice to you doesn't mean he's nice to everybody. So I think that it's very important that you care about other people because these are real life issues that they're going through. Like that could easily be you. That could easily be your brother, your sister. So I think that it's very important for kids to care about this because I think it's done and it's about time that we stop letting CPS step all over us and think that just because we're teenagers, we don't have a say in what affects directly us. Mm-hmm. If you want change, you have to fight for it. Yeah, basically what Ismonda said, that's so strong, but as well as it also opens the table for more discussions to be held because I don't think many of our students know that Eric Slorio himself, all his officers have, almost all of them have more reports of excessive force than actual allegations. So we are representing someone who stands around when people get hurt. The officer, Paul Jay, stood around while George Floyd was killed. And it's people like that who stand around when people get hurt that are in the same position when more serious things happen. Because once you do it, once it happens, it keeps happening. And And it just repeats itself. And I don't think that many people are aware of that. Many people, like, stop. And once people stop and think, they realize that, oh, I didn't know this. Now we have to do something about it. Can we do something about it? And we we are lucky to be in a community of activists and leaders that help us organize these events, that help us get in contact with other groups and other organizations. They say, you want to protest? Okay, we give you the resources. We give you the voice. We give you the name. Let's do this. I'm all with you. And that really helps not only show community, but just shows that like Esmeralda said, if we want change, we will get it. Do you feel safe at school, like with cops around there? I think personally, I don't feel any less safe or any more safe that they're there. The officer in our school currently, all he does is desk duty and he prints tardies. So to me, he's just a glorified security guard. Uh, I think that he's overpaid just to print tardies. And I think that there's no reason why him sitting there makes more money annually than teachers who work their asses off for us. That shouldn't be a thing. And then, uh, do you see the purpose of like SROs in your school? Or is that like the same question, same thing you said? I had a conversation with my father about this, about the, in- the original intent of putting SROs in school with increased school shootings and increased gun violence. I can completely understand why they were put in schools to begin with, but obviously over time, we, time and time, we've seen at different high schools in different states and different regions that cops aren't doing their job. They're not doing the job that they were intended. And if kids are being profiled, if kids are being arrested in a community, in the one community that they're supposed to be safe from, from being profiled and arrested outside, then obviously we're doing something wrong. Our education, our learning should be a completely 100% safe bubble from everything that's happening outside. Kids should be able to come into school and focus only on school, not how am I, how, how, do, how does my walk look as I pass the officer? How do, how am I talking, passing the officer? And having that general bubble rising in your chest when you pass an officer. I don't think that kids should ever need to feel that or go through that. We, we need an education only for education. Just going on to like more elaboration, like what exactly about the SRO program do you like dislike? 
I just like the fact that those funding that $33 million contract, we don't even get that much. You know, there's no reason why cops get $33 million, but our sports team hasn't got new uniforms since 2015. Or there's no reason why they have that much money, but our textbooks are from 2008. You know, our arts programs, our music programs, those are falling apart, but cops are sitting on their high horse, you know. And I think that a lot of people say that, well, Esmeralda, you know, cops in the school, well, they keep us safe. Schools should be, like my sister said, a safe bubble. And the prevention of school shootings starts with ments available mental health resources to children, those of which are not available to the students in CPS. So if you really want a safe space, why aren't you giving us those materials that we need to truly feel safe? CPS needs licensed therapists, you know, social workers, nurses, those of which we don't have. My school currently has four counselors that aren't certified to deal with the problems that we face every single day. Their main focus is what colleges have you applied to? You know, are you doing your homework? They don't have the certification to deal with, I got stabbed by a cop today. I don't feel safe. I can't go home because ABC, you know? So I think that if you truly care about the students and you really want to keep them safe, then that funding should be allocated towards us. That's my main problem, that they're overpaid and they don't keep us safe. Adding on to that, definitely, it just goes back into the fact of defunding the police. What Esmeralda said, they're completely overpaid. It's resources that could be put in for better gym equipment, better textbooks, better resources, better programs, better opportunities. It's all things that we're not getting, but there's a $33 million contract that we can't even take at least 1% out of. And it's definitely, like Esmeralda said, if CPS really cared about us, if the city really cared about us, it goes deeper. Our safety is not insured with two officers. Our safety is insured with, like I said, better programs, better resources, better counselors to prevent school shootings, to prevent people from having emotional breakdowns to begin with. And it starts there. And I, I also want to set something straight. Cops do not prevent school shootings. They only respond to them. Cops are not certified to truly de-escalate situations, you know? So I think that by saying that cops would keep us safe in a school shooting, like, they don't prevent them. They can only respond to what they see. Has there been any instances in your school where the SROs, like, fail to help out? I've never personally been in an incident where I feel that Officer Bonja didn't respond correctly or wasn't there or de-escalated something, but from my interactions with him, he's just not active, like, not 100% attend or listening. It's just very, like, sluggish, very, like, whatever. He's mostly on desk duty, like, 95% of the time. So when he is up, he's very unconcerned for the students, very unconcerned with other people. So do you think having cops in schools, like, amplifies the school-to-prison pipeline? Yes, definitely. I think it's an easy gateway for many students to be arrested, and therefore their lives are ruined. And I truly do believe in the school-to-prison pipeline. There was a girl, I forgot what state, but she's 15. She got arrested for not doing her homework, and now she's spending her life in jail. Like, every student doesn't do their homework sometimes. That doesn't, I don't do my homework sometimes. That doesn't mean I belong in prison. And I think that it's unfair because school is supposed to be a place where you can escape from everything, where you can truly thrive, you know? If you work hard enough, it's supposed to be a place where you can finally get out of, you know, I guess people say, like, get out of the hood. But I think that just makes it 
10 times easier to target you in school than they would if you were in the street. Exactly what Esmeralda said. Just catching them off at, a, at, their most, at their most vulnerable point. It's manipulative and it's disgusting the way that the system takes advantage of our students like that. Okay, so the last question. If it were up to you, how would you reallocate funding, either for your school or like for just entire CPS? I think that first I would start with free therapy for all students who need it. I think that I would also put nurses in every school, social workers, and then after that we can start by getting new textbooks, new books, you know. There's no reason why my teacher buys a stack of books and tells us, like, you know, please take care of these. I just bought these with my own money. Why isn't the school funding that? She had to buy those because she knows the school won't buy them. And we know that the good schools have them. So I'm tired of having broken textbooks with outdated information. I want new textbooks so what I'm learning is actually accurate. I think that a lot a uh, little goes a long way, definitely with our, our sports, too. Currently, the only sports that have decent funding is football and soccer because they're the most successful. But, you know, cross-country, so- girls' soccer, those uniforms are really old. They're stained. You know, I just think that um, we deserve nice stuff, too. Just because we're a neighborhood school doesn't mean that we're ghetto or we're raggedy. We're not any less than kids who go to Lane Tech or kids who go to school in suburbs. If I could reallocate funds to schools, definitely reinvest it in community activities, community garden service opportunities. I know that only certain groups get get to do those opportunities. Definitely mandatory education of American history, of our race taught by Black educators. There's so much information coming out nowadays that our textbooks haven't taught us that we are learning a whitewashed version a completely blank version of what happened in our history. And we deserve to know the real facts, the real stories of what happened. And I definitely think that if once we are re-educated, we realize it's a domino effect to so many more issues that we have today. Yeah, definitely. Like, I only know about Christopher Columbus and the Native American genocide because I educated myself. My father, he's nearly 50 years old, he didn't even know about that until a few weeks ago when me and my sister were telling him about it because it's not taught. And unless you put yourself out there and you're actively researching about these things, you can live your whole life without knowing them. As well as double down on funding for extracurricular activities as well as art programs. Almost every extracurricular program is underfunded and majority of teachers need to pay it for it out of their own pocket so definitely needs to be back into there no exclusionary discipline certain students are excluded from punishments while others are punished more harshly i think that there needs to be a system or somebody in charge that can help de-escalate situations and provide a safe space where people can understand what they've done wrong and then learn from it in a healthy manner And we're back. Remember, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And this is For the People Show. And you just heard one of my interviews way back from August of 2020. And this was um, specifically more about CPS decision in putting CPD or SRO um, officers in CPS schools. And you just heard a clip from Two students from that school who were very passionate in, you know, removing 
a police officer they have there. But, you know, for this conversation, we'll be having more specifically on just the impact of, you know, police officers in in an educational setting and, you know, converse about it. So my first question for y'all is, did you guys have like police officers in your school or no? Uh, I went to Little Village, Londale High School, and I believe we did have police officers. I never interacted with them. And I think I'm happy to, you know, to say that I never had to interact with them. I never felt particularly safer with them in there. I mean, the school had metal detectors, you know, like, you know, and security already. So I I was never, you know, like, that's not something I ever worried about, uh, like the safety in my school, um, personally. Um, I think, I well, pre-COVID times and right before any of this happened, I was once in high school uh, and my encounters... Um, there, I do want to share, like, I, I don't think I had a difficult encounter with officers in school, but I did feel uneven and unsafe because of the fact that, you know, there's, I felt like there was a presence there. And I felt like in a high school setting, I don't think anyone should feel like they're, you know, if, if I, I don't want to say that high school makes you feel like this, but, you know, sometimes when, when you're, when you're in a, in a building, studies are important, but also the fact that you know, when you're studying or when you're in a place of, you know, where it's supposed to be educational or scholarly, I had never imagined that I would have to feel like I'm being guarded or some sort, you know, but not, not a guarded as in like, you know, say as, as in a safety measure, but guarded as like, why would this person be here with, you know, essentially equipped out for riots and such? And then why would uh, an officer be the one to be there to stop situations or encounters? Personally, me, in elementary school, what I liked about elementary school is that I, I went to Eli Whitney school. There was this one officer there, but he wasn't, I believe he was like a retired security, a retired officer, but turned security. So he wasn't an officer actually, but he was just a security guard, but he came from the background of, of, you know, police. But what I liked about this person was that he never had a weapon. He never had mace. He never had any type of gas or any gear. It was just him and his pen. That was him and his pen and his notepad in case of any encounters. He would write down your name. And then if he had or if he had or if he noticed any situations with males or anyone that was, you know, encountering, he would sit down and talk to them right before instead of taking them to the principal's office, he would just sit down and talk to them and it's like, hey, you know, you guys are in a heated conversation or X and X, whatever, you're you're having a bad time. You know, and oftentimes he wouldn't feel like he would have to take matters into his own hands, but he would seek out help for the student and for the people that were in, in the situation. What I liked about elementary that high school didn't have was in elementary school, we I did have um, counselors. Um, I know in high school, uh, I'm not blaming them, I did attend word language, but I, I realized that counselors was something that was needed in the space instead of officers. So that was one thing that I always wanted to raise questions, which I should have had in my high school years. But that's something that I feel now in this time of age, I feel like, you know, a public space, not public spaces, but public schools should invest more or be more, uh, how do I say this? Proactive. Um, proactive in how they spend their funds. Essentially, you know, two counselors could help out 20, 20 to 30 kids, you know, but one officer, what is one officer going to do? He's just going to stand there, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that won't be a reasonable way to, to help with a, a child or help 
a group of students. Essentially, the intention of a school should be that a child should feel secure and, you know, that they're being hurt, that they're being protected from, you know, these outside institutions or outside forces that could potentially harm their life. You know, you know, one bad encounter with an officer could lead you to an arrest and that arrest could lead you to court. And then that's on your record now. And then how, you know, what are you going to do then? You know, right. when you can have a public system, you know, fun mental health uh, institutions in, in schools or even then mental health advocates or even then counselors, just a simple person that you would want to talk to that is not an authoritative figure and that you don't feel like they're a parent or a guardian, but someone that you can genuinely trust in order for you to progress with your with your day. You know, sometimes I just want a, another off tangent. Uh, I had a, I had a, a few friends in high school where they've had odd encounters with the security guards and the police that it got so weird to the point where, you know, these kids, these students, um, a few friends, they would come late. Yeah, they would come late to school for private reasons or for per personal reasons um, that it's not my, my concern or even the officer's concern. But even then, I would see these kids that would come in with their lunches from McDonald's for their breakfast because they might not have the proper resources at home. So they tend to feed on their own. And you know what? If I feel like it's if I'm hungry and I can't get food at home, then I feel it's genuine for me to get home. I mean, to get food from McDonald's and then walk my way to school, you know. And I've seen in contests where where these kids, they just like, yeah, they're late, but they're in order for them to not even be stopped or even given a hard time but by officers kids will bribe would tell the officer like hey i'll give you a, a burrito a mcdonald's burrito i'll give you something i'm just you know i had a bad day or something and it's like that that is so weird and that shouldn't i don't know why was that happening and it's like it's as if if you want good treatment from an officer it's like you have to treat them with proper respect and it's like no that shouldn't no it should be inherently that they treat you good yeah um, I also want to include something. So that was like, I believe y'all like graduated pre Miss Lori Lightfoot, which would be before she did all this foolishness on putting more cops in schools. So I know Antonio and I were like from Little Village. We go to the same school. I mean, he could speak later about it, but my experience with it, um, they're hella weird. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. they're really weird. So they I, <laughs> yeah, they, they stare at you. Okay, I'm not going to lie. During lunch, I don't go to lunch. I roam around or like, I go to the library they'll track you down they'll follow you which is like i understand why because i mean but why do i look suspicious <laughs> anyway and really i don't think it does anything they sit on a desk they write out who's they or whoever in that this and that and if their main concern is either um gang violence or um or like just like drug dealing or something in our school it really hasn't done anything you know kids are still going to be drug dealing and kids are still going to be doing whatever and whatnot or even ditching school <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it's really easy to ditch there and even having cuffs there they're not going to do anything because people start still are doing whatever the main problems is so personally i don't see any use of it just because I there's no improvement in our school because of that. And obviously I've seen my friends, my friends have been like kind of like interrogated by cops, but not really too I think like on like exaggerated, but I definitely know some other kids who have probably had really negative encounters and I'll pass it to Antonio. Yeah, well like my experience in lunch I also don't go like to lunch. Well I go to lunch and then I go out and then go to the music room. And for going to the music room or the bathroom, I get followed. Like, you feel like this sensation of always being, like, watched. You're like, okay, you're minding my privacy. <laughs> but it feels weird. And I have some friends that have some, that have had some 
bad encounters with them because they were just like minding their own business and just by their looks or how they dress, they're interrogated like badly. And like Melissa said, like we don't see a change. Like there's still drug or the problems that there's in, in high schools or in this high school. We don't see like a change with the officers being there. So there's no point. Like you guys said, we need more counselors. We only have like two. We need like more. We have two in our school, but I know some others from the three others um, in our campus or whatever. There's like they only have one. Um, and some other schools are more populated than ours. Um, but I would also say um, since our school is very like, I think, specific and either just like the game violence like oriented in there. I think there should be more programs, you know, aimed toward that um, or to help people who are exactly like struggling in school. I don't think it's fair for like a, someone who might not be doing really well academically to just kind of give up there. Um, I don't think that should happen. And I think that that's why our funding should be direct, um, directed to somewhere else. Um, I know Lori did like a 30 million or CPS is like, you know, budgeting for $30 million for um, our SROs. And one, it's too much money for that. And the other thing is, it's not really specific for a school. It's one, it's um, increasing the school to prison pipeline, which is horrible because, you know, if a kid does do a mistake, this, they're still kids. They have consequences. They, they will learn from that, but not necessarily in a law enforcement sense. Like they shouldn't have a record. They also shouldn't be able to search about, search us up in like the gang database or um, whatever. I know recently they already did like, um, a rule that they can't do that anymore, but they used to do that and cops had like the ability to search you up. So I just don't think that was fair. And, you know, um, definitely there should be something that is more catered towards specific schools and the specific problems oriented in that school. I feel like in any school, they, 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 they should really find um, a proper and more reasonable way to have more supportive outlets in public schools rather than uh, authoritative um you know authoritative figures in these public schools yeah because like students have to be like feel secure and supported and not like oppressed and scared yeah yeah it it also doesn't help um that like the police are there um whether whether they're they're there to make you feel safe their their actions are always reactionary it can never be proactive in in the way like stopping a problem it's always stopping a problem when it's already happened right so wouldn't it make more sense in any of these situations of gang violence of uh drug dealing of um even school shooting right like these these are all problems that would be better resolved um had they appropriate proactive actions taken like uh having guidance more guidance counselors or more money into something like that i mean yeah i agree with that and just if i'm being honest like the the security guards and the one police or two police officers we have in our school as i remember from like like a year ago um they didn't do anything honestly they just roamed around followed some kids asked them where they were going um and even if there was like i think if you would say like a kid who was you know actually doing something maybe kind of bad um they would let us slide why because maybe it's too much work for them or something so there's really no use for that that money is going nowhere 
you know, that's just basically a free paycheck. And yeah, to me, it's useless. And it's kind of frustrating just because you sit there, you sit with a bunch of students who have other other problems, and you see how much they're struggling. And then you're like, no one's going to do anything. I guess to wrap everything up from this conversation, um, in our experience, cops suck, especially, you know, <laughs> not to be like that, you know, um, but definitely there's other perspectives, you know, other students might actually appreciate having cops in their schools and for them, it might feel more safe. But, you know, in our experiences, personally, we haven't really been comfortable or really don't see a change due to like, you know, implementing, you know, these SROs in our school. But definitely there's other opinions and there's people who actually, you know, feel comfortable. And again, um, the reason why there's a lot of cops in our schools is also because of community board members and how they vote and how their vote influences um, a lot of the things that also happen with that. So if you're a student or whatever, I encourage you become more involved into your community and you could be able to dictate what comes in and what comes out of your your space. So that is the end to our conversation here and also the end of our first hour, but we will be back for the second with a very special interview, so definitely stay tuned for that. And this is What's Up's FTP for the People on Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM WLPN LP Chicago. Hello, everybody. You are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And this is the second hour of What's Up FTP for the People. Now, let's listen to an interview that I did with Henry Cervantes, a program manager for Peace Exchange and a resident longtime community organizer. My name is Henry Cervantes. I am 33 years of age. And could you describe your role at the Peace Exchange and a bit about what you do in the community? Sure. So I work for an organization called the Peace Exchange, which is a program of Holy Family Ministries. I serve as the program manager for the Peace Exchange. Our office is located out of the North Lawndale community on Chicago West Side, but I was born and raised and I still live here in uh, in Little Village. And as a part of the Peace Exchange, basically my job is to manage our programs. We run a peace education program for elementary school students teaching nonviolence. Uh, and we also run our peace builder program for high school and university students to engage them in understanding the root causes of violence in our communities and what they can do about it to promote a more peaceful society. And can you tell me a bit about how you got involved with this work or how you started and also especially why it's so important for you to do this kind of work in Little Village? So, like I said, I was born and raised here. I'm the oldest brother to six sisters, and I didn't decide to become active in the community or involved or an activist until my junior year of high school. I went to Farragut High School here in the community, and, uh, you know, growing up, I thought that violence was a normal thing. I was raised in a domestic violent household, my father and mother separated when I was a baby, but I was raised by my stepfather, who was a very violent and abusive man. And so growing up, my earliest childhood memories were, you know, of my, my mother being beaten, my sisters being beaten, and myself. And so I thought that was normal. And then I would look outside our window out into the community. And as a child, I would I would hear the shots. 
I would see things that no child should experience or see. And so it, it was normal. But when I was a, a junior in high school, uh, a tragedy affected our family. Uh, unfortunately, after a domestic dispute between my guardians, um, one of my little sisters who was in elementary school at the time um, took her life. And that changed my life forever. Um, and that was the moment that I decided that I would take a stand for peace, that I would take a stand uh, for nonviolence and do what I can, do what I can do to promote a more peaceful family and a more peaceful community because no child should ever have to perish in such a violent way. And so that's how I got started. It starts with taking a stand that from this moment on that anything that I can do within my power to address and reduce violence is what I've dedicated my time to, is what I've dedicated my career to now. And it's something that I do also in, in my family, right? To try to change, like we are the change. We are the things that, you know, we should live what we wanna see. And what is something that you're proud of, of your work? You know, I gotta say, I'm proud of the young people I work with. Any opportunity I have to tell a young person, I'm proud of you, I care about you, like do what you're doing, I do that. And I'm proud, I'm proud of the young people in our community. When I work in the jails and in the prisons as well, I know people have made mistakes, some have made mistakes, but people shouldn't be defined by those mistakes, our young people who are incarcerated. How can we build from there? I think you have to measure people from like where they came from and how they're growing from that. So I'm proud of, I'm proud of my students. I'm proud of the young people in, in my community. And I would only hope that the next generation of young people, and they've been doing this, and this is really exciting, that they continue to demonstrate, that they continue to hold space, for healing and to release their anger towards injustice in a nonviolent way. Because violence, when people respond with hatred and when people respond with violence, that's what the other side does, you know? And so I've had enough of that. I've had enough. I've had enough of violence in that perspective. So we just got to show our young people that we care and we love them no matter where they're coming from in their lives, you know, we got to support them and show them a loving and caring way to exist in this world. Because unfortunately, a lot of young people out there in, their, in our world are, are shown other ways. Could you tell me about some of the more common issues that you witness with some of the elementary and high school students that you all educate and even some of the youth that are incarcerated that you see? Sure. So, you know, part of what I do as a volunteer is since 2017, I've been going to the Cook County Jail, which actually sits here in Little Village. It's one of the biggest jails in the country. And I go as a volunteer as part of the sheriff's anti-violence effort. And I teach classes on conflict studies, a nonviolent discipline. And, and I, I work with young people, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, in introducing ideas of conflict, but how can we engage in conflict through a nonviolent way? And I've learned a lot from the incarcerated community. 
Uh, I also teach a class at Stateville Correctional Center, which is a maximum security prison right outside of Chicago, and working with the older generation of people who've been incarcerated for years, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And the young pe- the students that are incarcerated are, are detained or have been accused or have been convicted of violent acts. And so just introducing a different way of engaging in conflict. I don't go there to teach them and and preach to them and say, this is what you got to do, but to kind of open up a window of options, right? That there's always a way in which to address issues without having to harm another person or causing more damage to your communities. Uh, It's something that I love to do. And to to the first question about working with the younger generation, that's why I teach at the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade level, where I teach conflict studies and peace studies with children, because at that age, young people are leaving childhood and becoming adolescents. And so there are oftentimes with young people, that is like a rapid growth. And it's also a good opportunity for us to really kind of get in their ear and promote ideas that, you know, violence should never be accepted as normal and introduce tools and strategies and techniques in a way that they can deal with conflict themselves. Because young people need ways to express what they're feeling. They need to find out ways, healthy ways to express anger. You know, because when I was a kid, I mean, we lived through hell, but I didn't take a class in school. I don't remember any time in my life, in my childhood and in my adolescence, where a teacher taught us, how do you express your anger to another person, right? I I didn't have a teacher. We didn't have peace classes. And so I'll share this little quick story. There's a young man at Cook County Jail who I met through the work that I do there who's been incarcerated multiple times. This was like his third or fourth time there. The young man is from North Lawndale. He's been arrested and rearrested for some stuff that, he's been doing in the community. And after one of our class sessions, I asked him, because he's young, you know, early 20s, these young men are in the prime of their lives. And I asked him if he'd be willing to be a voice because he loved the conflict studies classes. He loved the, like, really, we can, I never heard of such thing as nonviolence. But I asked him if he would be willing to be a voice of peace in his community. And his answer blew me away. He said, yes and no. He said, yes, because it's like the right thing to do. It's you got to have courage to do that kind of stuff. And no, because I have a certain reputation I have to uphold. So for me, it's too late to be promoting peace because of all the stuff that I've done. Right. And so then I asked them, like, so when do we start working with young people? You, you know, you've been incarcerated. You're, you're in your early 20s. You've been incarcerated. We still have hope for you, man. We still have hope for you. Uh, But he said, you got to reach the younger kids. You got to reach the kids that are at sixth and seventh grade. Those are the kids you got to reach if you want to make a difference in the community. And so that answer blew me away. And it's a huge reason why I teach peace at that age level. Because if we don't teach our kids how to engage in the world, then who is? For sure. And I think that leads in perfectly with my next question. What would you say should be the role of an adolescent in a low income community? And how do you think their environment and the community that's raising them impacts the decisions that they make? I would say, you know, young people in our communities should be enjoying 
their lives. They should be enjoying playing. They should be enjoying their communities. They should be enjoying going to school. They should be discovering who they are. You know, from, when you jump from elementary to high school, that's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. And so young people, even in high school, they're, they're still discovering who they are. And so we as a community should support them in, in helping them and mentoring them and finding who they are before they go on to university or before they get a trade. So we have to be supportive. That's our responsibility to the next generation of young people is how can we support you? How can we help you? How can we love you so that you can enjoy the best of what life has to offer? But unfortunately, when you grow up in the inner city, like you said, if you grew up in the barrio, if you grew up in the hood, if you grew up in our communities, Oftentimes, young people, instead of enjoying their life, they are being preoccupied with other things. Sometimes they worry about walking to school. Sometimes they worry about walking to the store. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? So, so and that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. And it's sad. It's tragic. And it motivates me to continue to kind of work with young people more because our young people deserve to live in safe environments, period. And can you tell me some of your thoughts on last week's incident with the police and Adam? Uh, what happened to Adam Toledo and his family is a tragedy. Uh, it is a tragedy. It is sad. It is sad. It breaks my heart. I think many people in our communities are hurting. I think many people in our communities are suffering because that could have been, you know, that could have been it, anybody. And it's unfortunate because I think what really made this international news and national news was because he was so young um, and that he was shot by the police. And so I offer uh, my deepest condolences to the family, uh, to Adam's mom, to their immediate relatives because now their lives are, are changed forever. It's not easy when, when a family loses a child. I know because in our family that happened to us. And so that, that's been on my mind a lot, you know, how this family is, is really hurting and in mourning. And we have, to, we have to, as a community, show love and support to, it's a reminder for us, for, all the young people that we have in our communities and how we should embrace them, we should love them, we should care for them because we, we don't want them in harm's way. And unfortunately, what happened with this particular case of police uh, excessive force, of police violence, of police brutality is unfortunately, you know, gun violence affecting young people is nothing new. Gun violence Taking the lives of young people is nothing new. Police brutality against poor people of color, predominantly young people, is not new. And so, so th th those are my immediate uh, thoughts regarding this this particular tragedy. And so, I think as a as a community, what's going to define us is how we are going to respond to these issues, and what can we do within our power to create a community in which this does not take place.
because you and I know, Emmanuel, that this wouldn't happen in a white neighborhood. This wouldn't happen in the North side. But I think there's many questions that I have. I think many people are also, uh, this has hit our community hard. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people like to point fingers, you know, but I would say this, moving forward, I think the police should learn something from this. I think from our community side as well, I think we should all learn something from this because this shouldn't happen and, and we shouldn't tolerate this, but that's the reality. It's sad, but it's, it's you know, gun violence in our communities is nothing new. And how do you think that a situation like this could have been avoided in the future? I would say that I don't know what police are taught in the training academy and how to deal with young people, how to deal with quote-unquote at-risk youth. I think a lot of people, I think at the city level, at the government level, and at the, at the, at the community level, there's a lot of things that are, that are hopefully we all learn from this and heal together. I, I hope the, the police department learns that this is, you know, the community is never just going to accept the fact that, you know, when you use violence against young people, that that's acceptable. I, I would say at the immediate level, what people can do is check in with your young, check in with your, uh, the, the, the young generation, those kids that are at sixth, seventh, eighth grade level, right? And even earlier, obviously, and love them and support them and create opportunities for them so that they can grow because the streets are, are very tempting. The streets are very tempting. And so, like I said, my, my deepest condolences to the family and I feel so bad, you know, but I'll say this too. I also, I, I also feel bad for that officer because that person has to live with this for the rest of their life. They took a child's life and they're going to have to live with that. And so I hope things change in their training so that this can be avoided. You know, there's a lot of causes and conditions that led to this particular incident. There's a lot of things on both sides that, and by both sides, I mean from the young person's perspective, but also from law enforcement's perspective that led to this. How can we avoid that? I think that we have to have law enforcement that is sensitive to our young population, to our communities. What are your biggest concerns with the police in these communities and in schools? And what would you say are some alternatives to avoid altercations like these? That's a big question, Emmanuel. <laughs> so here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say, Emmanuel. You're always going to have people from different political perspectives they're going to look at this issue. And everybody has something to say regarding this, right? Some people will blame the police. Some people will, play, will blame the victim, unfortunately. Some people will blame the victim's parents, right? And that's sad. That's sad. But regarding the law enforcement and police, I think, honestly, they should treat people of color the same way they would treat anybody else, whether it's in the Gold Coast or in the Loop or in the North Side, they should treat young people of color with the same courtesy and respect they treat people in Lincoln Park 
and they, you know, because we know that policing looks different in white communities versus communities of color. And we have a long way to go. You know, there's a, there's a big gap, you know, communities of color historically, historically don't trust the police. There's been a big issue right now. We're, we're all watching the George Floyd trial, you know, so our communities are on edge. Uh, the police department and the city, to my knowledge, they have not re- released the body cam video of what happened. And when that does, I think the community, I hope that the community responds through nonviolence from a place of healing. And yes, we, we are upset. We are hurt. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we're not angry and we're not hurting and we're not mourning, but we have to work together so that this these kind of incidents don't take place. But the police department has a lot of work to do on their hands in terms of how they treat young people of color, not only in Little Village, but through all communities. Because in America, this has kind of been the way it's been. And a lot of children suffer or die or are killed because of the mistakes of adults, because of the stupidity of adults. And so let's not forget about that. A young person should not have to lose their life or be shot or be killed because of the stupidity of the adults in their lives. Because we see that in our society. And I'll close with this, Emmanuel. We have to use our voice. We have to use our mind. We have to use our heart to advance justice for our people. And we have to also find space to heal, to heal together as a community, continue to build that vision for community. And so, you know, I'm excited about the, the a lot of the activism that is taking place, a lot of the social justice work that is being led by young people. Let's support that. Let's build with them. You know, what do you guys need? How can we help you? Because we know that our communities, man, like, you know, we have our beautiful side, we have our cultural side, we have familia and comunidad, but we also have the social injustices that we face, discrimination, you know, and all of these other issues that continue, you know, environmental injustice, mass incarceration, lack of opportunities for young people. We have so many young people in our communities more than anywhere else in the city. What opportunities do we have? And how are we providing those opportunities? So that's a question that I will ask to the larger societies, how is the police department serving and protecting young people? How are our schools educating our young people? How are parents, what kind of support do they need in, in bringing up their young? Because it's hard, man. If you're working a lot and stuff, like I know from experience, you know, they don't teach a class on how to parent your child. <laughs> I didn't take that, right? So I think our communities also need to support each other. And we gotta, we gotta push with that. Comunidad, familia. That's who we are. That's who we are. Hello, everybody. We are back. And that was an interview with Henry Cervantes. Now, let's move on to our final thoughts before closing out the show. This incident is very tragic. I think the police should be held accountable. The death of uh, Adam Toledo, we should use this to further our mission to have less violence in our community for one, so that the city of Chicago recognizes that these police should be held accountable for their actions. 
they should not aim to kill citizens. Their, their job is to make the community better, help the community. I was going to say rep, like reprimand and see fair trial for these people, but that too. And just hopefully justice is going to be served and should be served. And I advise everyone, if you have the opportunity and the drive, you know, become more involved in your community and try to, you know, improve the, the I think, the environment in which, you know, our communities are in, which is either there is, you know, a, a rise of police brutality or just make sure you're making your community a safe space. So, um, you know just that and hopefully just as a serve basically and this kind of wraps up the whole show so you guys were listening to for the people by whatsapp um remember you are listening to 105.5 fm lumpen radio wlpn lp chicago and for our next half hour we'll be playing some music jams
enjoying our amazing outstanding terrific wonderful inspiring delicious funny breathtaking we snatching lady poppin production if not you should listen to our radio show what's up again in the meantime we'll be twerking on our next one here in lumpin radio 
So stay tuned for our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, weave-snatching, highly amazing production. I hope that you were informed about the YOLO-licious parts of life and get your bag every day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at yolokali.org for more. We are the robots. We are the robots.